0: be preaching on Psalm 107. And for those who were here last week, Riley did mention that Psalm 107 is one of the longest psalms. And so I'm going to go straight into it today. I'm going to read Psalm 107 straight away because this alone is going to take a bit of time. And then uh, let me get into that a bit deeper. So Psalm 107, it's going to be up on the screen. If you've got your Bibles, open that. If you need a Bible, put your hand up and one of the ashes at the back will uh, get you a Bible. Psalm 107 says this. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death. "'Prisoners in affliction and in irons, "'for they had rebelled against the words of God "'and spurned the counsel of the Most High. "'So He bowed their hearts down with hard labour. "'They fell down with none to help. "'Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, "'and He delivered them from their distress. "'He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death "'and burst their bonds apart. "'Let them thank The Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, And he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters, They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. and he does not let their livestocks diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy of our affliction and makes their families like flock. The upright see it, and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Verse 43, Whoever is wise... Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you might bless the preaching of your word. Lord, that I might become small and you might become great through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we live in a world where we put our confidence, our faith, our trust in many things, right? In many things. For many of us, we've already done this intentionally or unintentionally. For example, I reckon most of you probably drove your car to church and perhaps unintentionally you jumped in that car with confidence, faith that when you hit the accelerator, it's going to move forward and that when you hit the brake, it's going to stop, right? unintentionally or intentionally put your confidence in that. For many of us also, to give you another example, uh, you ordered coffee from our coffee team this morning. I think round of applause for our coffee team. They do such a wonderful (laughs) thing, wonderful job for us. But you know what? A lot of us, when we ordered our coffee or tea, we put our confidence that they would use the right beans that aren't expired, give us milk that's you know still fresh, that that would give us that caffeine hit that we eagerly desire in the morning. We put their confidence or trust in them. And for all of us here this morning, as you came in, sat down on your chair, you put your confidence, trust, unintentionally probably, that when you sit down, that, that seat wasn't going to crumble. We put our faith, our confidence in many things in this world. And the question I have for you today is this. In the midst of your trials, in the midst of your difficulties, sorrows, where have you placed your trust and confidence in? And to be more specific to today's sermon, I want to ask you this. Do you have faith? Do you have confidence that God loves you in the midst of those trials and sufferings? And so to unpack that for us this morning, I've got three points. God's love promised. Second, God's love displayed. And third, God's love. Considered, And if you're looking for a title for the sermon, I've named the title Steadfast Love of God. So why don't we go into our first point, God's love promised. God's love promised. 26th of uh, February 2011, about 12 and a half years ago, I made a vow, a promise which I intend to keep. It's the day I married my beautiful wife, Rebs, and yeah, thank you. I promise on that day that I spoke of this love that I would have for her towards her till death do us apart. But let me be honest with you, that love, however, most of the times it was amazing, it was up here, it was so good. But to be completely transparent with you, uh, we had, you know, difficult times too. You know, we had disagreements we had arguments undergirded by selfishness and pride, mainly from me, not Rebs. And that love often was up here, amazing, but at times down here too. And wondering, "Ah, oh, man, where is that love gone? But by God's grace, we're still strong. We're up here at the moment, and Rebs isn't here to verify that, which is great. Uh, But I guess the main point I want to say is this. In human relationships, love fluctuates. We have the highs in our love for one another and we have our lows. And then it goes up again and then down and up and down and up and down. And unintentionally, usually, we place that up and down framework of love to God. We think that perhaps, oh man, I have messed up this week. God is not happy with me. His love for me has diminished. At times, we unintentionally think that way. You know, at times we even think, is God even listening? You know, does he love me? The the Bible says he does, but why do I not feel it? And so through these passages, I want to re-educate us on what God promises about his love and what his love is. So read with me again uh, verse 1. It says this. First, in God's promise, I oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. You know, his love, God's love for us doesn't change regardless of the situation you are currently in right now. You know, steadfastness is a word that we don't use very often, is it? I don't know when the last time you used the word steadfastness, but perhaps you use the word steady, right? Steadfastness or steady means to be fixed, solid, not shifting, to be immovable but also abounding. You know, I tried to think of an illustration or an analogy that would help us understand what this steadfastness is, but I couldn't think of one. But I couldn't think of one because there is nothing like the steadfastness of God. Nothing. His love is not thin like ours that is easily breakable or rippable. His love is not fleeting or fragile. His love is not impulsive, dependent on how he feels about us. His love is not unreliable. But for his people, his love is tender. His love is gentle. His love is lowly. But at the same time, his love is powerful. It's steadfast. It's unchanging. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that comforting to know that God's love for us is steadfast? Knowing that God won't change his mind tomorrow about you, he knows you through and through. He already knows the you of tomorrow and your forthcoming failures of tomorrow. And if you are his, he has set his steadfast love on you, come what may. He loves his own today and he will keep loving his people tomorrow. And as challenges arise in our life, as resistance comes, as reasons to the contrary emerge... His steadfast love says he will never cave in. He will not give in on us. He will never quit on us. His love will hold firm. His love is secure, stable, settled, steadfast. Now, I don't know how else I can explain this better, except I did find someone who I think explains it better than, better than this. It comes from J.I. Packer. This is what he says. He says this, There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery now can disillusion him about me in the way I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. There is certainly great cause for humility in the thought that he sees all the twisted things about me that my fellow humans do not see, and I am glad, and that he sees more corruption in me than that which I see in myself, which in all conscience is enough. There is, however, equally great incentive to worship and love God in the thought that for some unfathomable reason He wants me as his friend and desires to be my friend and has given his son to die for me in order to realise this purpose. God's love for you never changes. It's steadfast. That's a promise. Here's the second thing. Point two in God's promise. His love is steadfast but it also endures forever. This means there is no beginning, there is no end. It means there was no time ever when his love was not exercised, neither will there be any time when the exercise of his love will fail. You know, has anyone seen the Niagara Falls? I have on YouTube. I saw it the <laughs> other day. It is amazing. It is amazing. But the constant gushing out of streams of water that are just unending and it's gushing, it's pouring down. That's his love. It's constant pouring down, never ends, never ever ends. Jeremiah 31 says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. In Psalm 103, verse 17, it says this, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And let me tell you, friends, there's so many other verses in the Bible that talks of His steadfast love that endures forever. So many. That's His love. He promises that His love is steadfast, and He promises that it will endure, continue on, pouring in our lives forever. And here's the third thing. Read with me verse 2 to 3. It says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. You see, who is his steadfast and enduring love applicable towards? It's for the redeemed. It's a promise that he loves his redeemed. You see, the redeemed is a title (coughs) Given to the people of God because God purchased you. To be redeemed means that at one stage in your life, you were in trouble. You were in trouble. You were a slave held captive to something else. You were redeemed, it says, though. So I've got to ask you a question. I want to ask you a question. Do you know that you're in trouble? Do you know that you are in trouble? We're all in trouble. We're trouble from the enemy's hand who wages war on us, tempts us to sin, from Satan. Our trouble is from the law that condemns. We're in trouble from death. But here's the promise. He says he will redeem his people from this trouble. And then he says he will gather the redeemed. He will gather the redeemed. That's a promise. Regardless of where you have been scattered, regardless of where you're wandering, regardless of what trial or suffering or sorrow that you have been scattered to, the good shepherd promises like he did in this psalm to redeem his sheep and gather his sheep. He brings us all together under his loving care. This is God's love for you, and that's a promise, that's a promise. You see, Psalm 107 isn't written for perhaps the Israelites many years ago as they were wandering in the desert for 40 years. It wasn't just for the Israelites perhaps who were in exile. But I want to remind us through this psalm that actually Psalm 107 is actually applicable for each and every one of you sitting here. Which leads me to my second point, God's love displayed. And soon as I unpack the stories in Psalm 107, you'll see how this psalm is applicable for you as well. God's love displayed. Second point, Psalm 107. I don't know if you noticed while I was reading it, There are four stories in there, and all four stories, they follow this structure, which makes it easy for us to understand, and all these four stories, they all point to the one underlying theme, which is God's steadfast love. Now, here's the structure that I want to inform you of all these four stories. First, the structure is this, there's a struggle or a sin in the lives of the people. Following that, structure two, they cry out to the Lord for help. Structure three, following the cry for help, God delivers, he redeems, he saves his people. And then fourth, they thank God for his steadfast love that endures forever. This structure of four continues on with all of the four stories so I'm going to go through each of the four stories. I'm not going to read the verses again because that'll, it'll take so long. Uh, but here it is. Story number one actually starts from verse four to verse nine. And each story you'll realize as you read the first word, it says some, S-O-M-E, some. To indicate perhaps I think that some of us have gone through this already. Some of us are actually going through it right now And for many of us, we need to consider that some of you might go through this in the future. So some, it says, in the first story, some people who are lost, wandering in desert wastes, hungry and thirsty, without a home, and their souls are weak as a result. Perhaps some of you can relate to that. When perhaps we try to fill our empty cisterns, we try to fill it with worldly pleasures, the riches of the world. We try to fill it with passions of the flesh and the hopes that it will satisfy our soul. But rather, we realize that actually, slowly, it drags the soul away from the safety of God. And then we feel like the story one we feel restless, we feel we don't have a home. We're hungry and thirsty. Our souls are hungry and thirsty and weighed down. No peace without hope. For some of us, this is our story. Story number two starts from verse 10 to verse 16. Again, some in darkness overshadowed by sin and prisoners of affliction, all due to the sin in their lives. This should remind us, actually this should remind all of us of our lives, how we rebelled against God, allowing for some sort of lust or bitterness or envy or anger, something like that or pride that holds us. And here's the thing, right? In verse 10, it says, We're chained in irons, shackled in the bondage of sin, and we cannot break free from these repeated sins in our lives that continue to knock on the door again and again and again. For this, it's our story, isn't it? Story three goes from verse 17 to 22. Again, some, but this time around he says some fools, Fools, it says, that have suffered many due to their sinful ways. Suffering due to their foolish decisions. And as a result, has brought about this illness within the body. Foolish, self-centered living resulting perhaps in addictions in life. It may look like for us drugs, addictions to gambling, pornography, alcohol, money, All these addictions in life, it has an effect on our physical body and it brings about illness, sickness. For some, this is our story. Story four, which is the last one, goes from verse 23 to 32. Some who are tossed to and fro from the stormy sea of their life and battered. Our lives are battered by the waves that continue to knock and knock and knock us over again and again and again. And they feel helpless. We feel helpless because these external or internal factors are outside our control. Like, I mean, who can control the wind and the waves in our lives? We go through things that we just, it's out of our hands. For some... This is our story. How often our souls hunger and thirst for rest, for a home that we cannot find. How often our lives are condemned, shackled by the weight of sin that we cannot break free from. How often we make foolish decisions and addictions in life that cause harm to our bodies. And how often we get knocked over by the wind and the waves that we cannot control. But Sovereign Grace, Parramatta, there's hope. There is hope for us. Because you see, in all these four stories, the people of God, what did they do structure to? They cried out to the Lord. And God, in his steadfast, enduring, redeeming love, he gathers his people from distress. Verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, and verse 28 talks of this. It says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He redeems us. He redeems us do you know how you know whether you're part of the redeemed? Do you know one way you know that you're a Christian? Ask yourself this question. In the midst of my trial and suffering and sorrow and sin, do I cry out to God in times of despair and trouble? Do I do that? Because being a Christian is not how well you serve. It's not about how well you give, it's not about how generous you are, it's not about how spiritually and morally correct we are, although they are important things. But you know you're a Christian when you know that when you're in trouble, you get down on your knees and then you cry out, I need a saviour, I need help. You see, this is the posture of a broken and contrite heart. A broken and contrite heart, oh Lord, you do not despise, he says. He does not despise us when we come to him with all our burdens. You know, Jesus, so many times in the book of Matthew, you know what he says? He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He wants us to come to him in our broken state and call out for help. And so what we see here is the redeemed, they cry out to the Lord in their sin and in their despair. So Sovereign Grace Church, Parramatta, will you cry out to the Lord knowing that only He is mighty to save, only He can redeem us. To cry out to the Lord and say, I once was lost in darkness night, You thought I knew the way, the sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will. And if you, God, did not love me first, I would refuse you still. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, God, in his steadfast, enduring love, he looked upon our helpless state. The state where I was wandering, looking for a home. The state where I was chained by my sin. The state where I was addicted and I could not get out. The state where we were being battered by the wind and the waves. He looked upon that helpless state that we are in. And you know what he did? He led us to the cross. What we need the most. Jesus says in John chapter 6, Verse 35, I am the bread of life, he says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so if you're wandering right now in the desert, if you're hungry and thirsty, which is not new stuff, we are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God we love. We are sheep that have gone astray, but God says this to you. He says, come to me. Whoever finds their home in Christ shall never hunger and thirst. Verse 9 of Psalm 107 of the first story says, For he satisfied the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. This is God's love displayed for you. For some of us, deep-rooted in sin, shackled and chained in irons, unable to get out, unable to break free? Well, let me tell you, friends, there is grace for you today. For he saved a wretch, a sinful man like me. We were once blind, but now we are able to see because Christ has set us free. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Saviour, He has rescued us from the sin, from the chains that we are held onto. Ephesians 2, 4-5 says this, But God, rich in His mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, chained to sin, He broke those chains apart and made us alive together in Christ. Therefore, he is, Jesus is, he is triumphant over death. In Romans 9, 9, I think it was, it says this, death no longer is master over him. Death is a defeated foe. Jesus is master over death, not the other way around. Though death serves its purposes, It has no final authority over him and his redeemed people. Verse 14 of the second story says this, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. This is God's love displayed for you. And for those who are weak and damaged in addictions in life, he has compassion He has compassion for his people. Jesus, he came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. He came for the sinners. He came for those who were sick, and he healed them. He healed them and freed them. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. The redeemed have his Spirit. Jesus liberates us from the things we may have been enslaved and addicted by. He gives us eternal joy and pleasures forevermore in Him and not the things of this world. And so He heals us from the sicknesses and illnesses that have caused about in these things. Verse 20, it says this He sent out His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. This is God's love displayed for you. And if you're smashed by the winds and the waves of your life that are out of your control, let me remind you that we have a saviour who calms the storms of our lives. You know what? He calmed the greatest storm of sin and death that continues to knock us around. And he did that by entering the storm himself. He took our sin and shame on the cross. Verse 29 says, He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and He brought them to their desired haven. This is God's love displayed for you. And for all of us here today, this must be a reminder of the steadfast love of God that endures forever. And the wonderful thing is for us who live in this side of the cross, we see that love most greatly displayed through Jesus Christ. We get a clearer picture than the psalmist did of that cross. 1 John verse 4, verse 9 to 10, it says this: In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him, that we might have life in the midst of our messy lives. We have life through Jesus. And then it continues to say this, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This means that our sins are completely paid for wiped away. The wrath of God, which we all deserved, was settled. It was settled by God himself through Jesus Christ. That's his steadfast love. That's his enduring love for the redeemed. And friends, let me remind us that over 2,000 years ago, Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he carried that old rugged cross up Calvary. And he was nailed to the cross for you, for me. That love displayed 2,000 years ago, that love, as you picture that love displayed, that love remains the same for you today. It's the same steadfast love. It's the same enduring love that what happened 2,000 years ago is for all of you here sitting here in 27 Iron Street. That love endures today for you and is steadfast love for you today. Isn't, Isn't that amazing? That's God's love promised. That's God's love displayed. And to my last point, God's love considered. Some of us are going through trials as we speak. I know we are. And some of us, they're really difficult trials. And in the midst of these trials, at times, it's so hard to see God's love in it. Some of us have gone through abuse, which is hard to think or even talk about. Some of us, you feel alone. Some of us, we go through just repeated sin that continues to draw and drag us down some of us are going through a physical illness that just doesn't go away. Some of us have children who are sick and going through hard times. Some of us have relational hardships, some of us financial hardships, and some of us uncertainties of what the future may lie for us. And as much as my heart breaks for those going through this, and I know within the church some of us are, I want to remind you for the redeemed that God in heaven, He knows, He knows what you're going through. And it breaks His heart too. It does. But that suffering, trials, sorrows, and sin we go through, Let me remind you, in God's loving hand, the promise is that it's always going to be redemptive. Always. And in love, I want to equip us. I want to equip us by warning you. I want to warn you for those who are going through hardships. And even as you prepare perhaps for some hardships that will come in the future, I want to warn you that we must never ever measure God's love based on how we are going in our adversity and in our sorrow. We must never measure God's love based on how we're doing. But let me tell you, rather, we must measure God's love always from the reality of the cross. Always measure God's love looking at the cross. The gospel must be central in our lives. Now, I love that analogy that Riley used last week about the universe. Now everything moves and rotates around the Sun, but when that center, when the sun gets displaced, everything crumbles and falls. And in the same way for us as Christians, the gospel must be central. No matter our trials, we need to continue to look at the love of Christ so that when the trials come and hit us and knock us over, we're looking at the greatest love displayed for us on the cross. We measure His love based on that alone. We must not ever put our trials in the centre. We must never put our sorrows, our hardships in the centre. Because as soon as we do that, we start to wander. It leads to destruction. Wind and the waves will batter us and we won't be able to get up. And also, we must never place ourselves in the centre. Because our emotions, our circumstances are so easily swayed, aren't they? We should not even rely on our own love for God and place that in the centre. You know, John Stott, he says this, Our confidence is not in our love for God, which is frail, fickle, and faltering, but in his love for us, which is steadfast, faithful, and persevering. We must hold fast to his love towards us, centered on the gospel. Centered on the gospel. This is why I believe the psalmist says in verse 43, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Wisdom for Christians is to consider the love of God. Wisdom for Christians is to think and ponder about the love of God. So my question for us is, when is the last time you sat down and thought about the love of Christ displayed in your life? When he redeemed you, when was the last time you thought about that? And do we truly understand the depth of that love? Do we truly understand the depth of that love? Sometimes as Christians, we think we know all there is to God's love. But there's a reason why Paul says in Ephesians 3.18, he says this, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Consider the love of God, friends, the riches, the depth of his, of his love displayed through Jesus. Martin Lloyd Jones, he says this, we must never fall into the error of imagining that because we are Christians, we therefore know all about the love of God. Most of us are but as children paddling at the edge of the ocean. There are gracious depths in this love of God of which we know nothing. That's his love. Consider that love that he has for you. His love is so deep that no matter how much we consider it, we won't be able to comprehend and reach the depths of it. He promises a steadfast love that endures. It's the anchor to the ups and downs of our fluctuating life. He will keep us firm. It endures forever. It's from everlasting to everlasting. And so to close... If you're here new to our church and perhaps you're wondering what is this love that you speak of? Well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And if you're here today wondering what this love is, it's for you too. And so please don't Don't leave today until you speak to someone about this love that you are curious about. And if you're the redeemed, if you have been redeemed by the risen Savior, then let me tell you this, the dominant note in your life must result in a praise of thankfulness to God. The Spirit will give you a joy that leads to thanksgiving. The redeemed, actually we all, the redeemed, have an overwhelming reason for declaring the goodness of the Lord. This is why the psalmist repeats four times each time in the story the people of the redeemed say this. And for us sitting here together, the redeemed, I want us to say this together. It's going to come up on the screen. Let's say this together. Or well, maybe it won't come up. There we go. It says this. Let's say it together as the redeemed. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let us thank the Lord. O give thanks to him for he is good. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your steadfast love that endures forever. We thank you that in the midst of the trials where we've wandered in desert places, hungry and thirsty, for the many of us shackled by the sins of our lives, the many of us in sickness, the many of us who are battered by the wind and the waves, Father, we thank Thank you that you, O oh Lord, have redeemed, you save. you have saved your people. And so, Lord, help us to consider these things in our lives. And as we do, Lord, may your spirit give us a heart of joyfulness, a heart of thankfulness for what you have done for your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.